so yes, we were able to collect all this sleep data specifically before and after the hurricane and um, like the post-traumatic stress symptoms children were experiencing. Um, and we were specifically looking at if your chronotype, which is like your morning or evening preference, um, impacts how well you cope, as, at least as a kid, um, which was really interesting. I, we hadn't found anything like it, especially in terms of like coping with traumatic events. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at WEMCouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at WEMCouncil. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee and Geography. Uh, this is so amazing. We were just chatting in the green room, me and this person. And the last time I saw this person was, and this is going to be a bit strange, right? Do you know, I keep saying that, oh, an ex-high school student of mine, I hadn't seen them since high school. Was this is actually sort of half true because I saw this person last 10 years ago when she was a high school student. In the United States of America, <laughs> so not I didn't teach her myself, but Alexis Barn. Hi, hello. Yes, yeah, it has been high school <laughs> since high it's, school. It's crazy, and I tell you what, folks, this is absolutely incredible. We'll quickly talk about this before before the introduction, right? But Alexis, when she was a high school student, did meet some of my high school students. <laughs> so Alexis, um, and some folks on the podcast have quote unquote met some of these people. So oh, wow. you, 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 tell, you tell the people listening, so who were these folks that you met? So it's been a while, but yeah. they were your students that were, I believe they were in your class that you brought over to yep. like visit our sanctuary, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. It was just so amazing. And, and like you folks got on like really, really well. It was so cool just to yes. see this group of teenagers who I've known and who I've annoyed and they've annoyed me so many times. And then, and they, then they came to the, come to the Howlers Inn, which we'll come back to in a minute, folks. Uh, <laughs> and then meet Alexis and Delaney. And then like, you just guys just hit it off. And there were some other folks there staying at your B&B who had kids and it was just quite fun. And like most of the time, rather than watching the Wolves, they were like hanging out with you lot chatting. <laughs> yes, I do remember <laughs> this now. It's, it's kind of coming back in bits and pieces. <laughs> Well, folks, I've just teased a few things here. So to introduce Alexis, this is really cool. Alexis was raised by wolves, but now she studies the brain. Alexis loves questions about how we learn, what happens while we sleep, and how our emotions affect all of it. Uh, she has lived and studied in the mountains of Montana, the deserts of Texas, and the rolling hills of the Netherlands. But as she puts here, the mountains will always be her favorite. You sound very nostalgic for Montana, Alexis. Oh, I am. Definitely after living in Texas for a little while. I just, I need my mountains. <laughs> Chalk and cheese must be, surely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, because um, I believe, because when you went to, so you're from, originally from Bozeman, Montana, which is how we met each other. Um, yes. Which is, so very quick backstory, folks, is that when my, 
my wife, her family has a house in um, in Bridger Canyon, which some of you know, um, out in Bozeman, Montana. And I always say, Alex, I always joke that it will be the few where 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 you used to live and where my family's house is is going to be the exact spot where Zephyr Cochran builds the Phoenix for Star Trek: First Contact in twenty sixty three. So uh, it just, right. that's my head. That's my head cannon. So. Um, <laughs> We can all stay at the Howlers Inn and then watch uh, <laughs> and watch Jeff and Cochran's Phoenix. Anyway, enough of that. And um, so, what happened there, folks, is that um, I fell in love with not just my wife, but also the place <laughs> and Bridger Canyon. And we decided to get married out there. So in two thousand seven, so two thousand six, we were scoping around about where people can stay, and we came across the Howlers Inn, which was a bed and breakfast. But as the name suggests, it also was a wolf sanctuary. And, yes. um, and that's how, and then we came over, we came out a look, you let, allowed us to pet the wolf cubs as it well, as they were at the time. <laughs> um, Kaya were and all those, oh my God, and Comanche as when they were little pups. And then, yeah, we became good friends and you actually came to my wedding reception, you, your sister and your mum and dad. So the following year. Yes. Yes, we did. I, is it bad? I also forgot that, but we did do that. It's been so long, Alexis. I mean, 2007, <laughs> I mean, crikey, you know, it's a long time ago. So, um, yeah, let's tell, let's, let's first start off with, with, um, your, the, the, the wolf sanctuary, the Howlers Inn. I mean, what an incredible place to grow up in, surely. I mean, oh, tell tell folks what the Howlers Inn was and, and kind of what your experience was being a kid growing up <laughs> in that environment. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of the only childhood I knew, so I don't have anything to compare it to, but it was still pretty amazing. Um, you know, yeah, so it was a wolf sanctuary and a bed and breakfast. So we took in wolf pups that, you know, needed a home. They We raised them. They lived as a pack with us. Well, not in our house, but <laughs> outside yeah. in their enclosure. Um, I've gotten to meet people from everywhere. I made a lot of friends like yourself <laughs> and your family uh yeah it's just been incredible for clarity for everybody um these are not you know you could probably imagine because i would you know i I'd, I'd be a bit trepidatious like speaking to someone who would like capture wolves and save them for a bed and breakfast it's not what happens here so um how you know how do these wolves come to come to stay at howlers in it kind of a mix of different ways i think all the wolves that we brought in personally while we owned it came from a sanctuary or um, a breeding facility for wild and exotic animals in Montana. Um, and they did a lot of breeding for like zoo programs that didn't have it or, um, you know, other educational facilities, things like that. Um, Kiowa and Comanche, the two pups that you met, we got because they had been asked for like an insane number of wolves for some facility somewhere. And then after all the wolves had become pregnant at their breeding facility the order got canceled and they had 15 puppies with no home um so we took on two of them to kind of start a fresh pack if you will um yeah and there were other wolves that came just from like illegal ownership or you know they were seized from i think like a roadside zoo or something um that's not as common yeah um my goodness you like to just to try and start a pack you said and my goodness did they they were pretty successful i would say they uh they they didn't do too badly those wolves no they did pretty well yeah and um i've 
one thing that you're so just to give a, a lovely mention to your your parents so chris and mary martha who yeah who are wonderful wonderful human beings and uh, and also well, uh, and your sister as well let's not forget delaney hi delaney <laughs> um so off to being a sports star somewhere um so your your parents actually helped contribute to um a piece of performance poetry um Back in oh my god, that was it 2019. Yeah, that's right. For so I did it at at a conference, a teaching conference. Um, and your, I think it was your dad. It's this is the 20th of December 2014. Um, okay. Sent me this thing about how what he wrote about Kiowa, um, because it was very very sad news on the 20th of December 2014 that Kiowa at the own at the ripe age of just seven years of age had a fatal seizure and died during the night, which was very, very sad. Um, who was your, yes. your alpha female? And I just want to read a passage, if, if you will, Alexis, for what your dad said, because mm-hmm. it just goes to show the emotional connection and the investment that you folks as a family put into these wolves. So this is what your dad said. He said, Kaya was an amazing wolf and one of the first two that Mary Martha and I had hand raised, getting her as a pup just a few weeks old. She was as wolfy as a wolf in captivity could be, and she was a strong female presence. She would stay away from any person she could, but her stare would make anyone back down. As wolfy as she was, Kiowa was extremely affectionate with our family. Mary Martha often referred to Kiowa as daddy's little girl, since she would crawl into our laps and suck on our thumbs at any opportunity or flop in front of our path for a belly rub. And if the girls, referring to you and and Delaney, if the girls went to the fence, she was the first to greet them and always gave them lots of kisses. Yes. Kiowa was, Kiowa and Comanche, I think, were both just amazing wolves. Yeah, oh, I can tell by just the reaction, you know, looking at you and your reaction, how, how much affection you had for those wolves, how much love and care you had for them. And yeah, so, and Kyron Comanche, I just, I've still got that picture of me in, in the wolf pup pen. Like, oh, I think, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and it, I think it was Kyra, Kyra on her back, like with her paws up in the air and me just like <laughs> scratching her belly. Yeah, it was so lovely. But then, and then to come back a few years later and see them both in the main pen, like, re, you know, and like, cracky, they're big and, and then my, yes. <laughs> my students trying to get them to howl, which was amazing. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, fun times. But it's it's such an incredible thing, and I, I I was I was deeply touched by what you what you did, and it must have been hard work though, both running a bed and breakfast and also looking after those wolves. Yes, definitely. I mean, to me as a kid, it wasn't. I got all the fun perks, <laughs> and I didn't have to do the work. Yeah, um, but I do know, especially as I got older and I was a little more aware of what was going on, I can definitely see how much work it took, um, which is why, you know, they eventually left. They just, my mom especially was burned out and tired from it. So it was time. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it just goes to show that, like, how much commitment, you know, such that, di- and I, I called it, com- you know, that there was definitely um conservation work that you folks did and um mm-hmm. and education work because everybody who came and visited the howlers in got an education about the you know wolves their behavior how important they are to to ecosystems you know and it was it was so so great and and uh, yeah and i just want to for everybody who's either stayed at howlers in or visited them i just want to say on behalf of everybody thanks massive thanks to you and your family for your efforts that you've done and of course good luck to i mean i know they've had it for a few years now but good luck to the folks yeah. who are running it now and uh and uh they have as much energy and passion that you folks did because they they need they <laughs> need hope. it in buckets 
They do. Yes. They just got two new puppies and they look just like Kyla and Comanche. It's a little oh. unnerving, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. So let's compare yeah. them. Bozeman, Montana then. So where the Howlers Inn is located, just outside of Bozeman, Montana. With Texas and the Netherlands, I mean, <laughs> did okay. Let's 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 go in t- chronological order. So, when you went to Texas to go to university mm-hmm. or or college, as you say in, in the United States, um, what what um, what, what, when you got there and you were starting to settle in, did everybody think, oh yeah, you are definitely like the Montana girl? Like it was so obvious that you were from Montana, or did you like fit in really really easily to the cosmopolitan lifestyle? I mean, how was that for you? <laughs> I would not say I fit in easily. Um, I think it was a little harder because I actually, I was just following my fiance for his university. So I wasn't even in school. Um, Yes. (laughs) Um, So I was just working. I was on campus working a job and there were times my coworkers were talking and it, it was like they were a different country. I was like, I don't know what you're referring to, what you're talking about. I'm so confused. (laughs) It was wild. Um, I still feel that way sometimes a little bit. But but there was a cool moment when I was talking with some of them. And it came up that I had lived at a wolf sanctuary. You know, I'd raised all these wolves. And one of my coworkers said, oh, my niece and nephew are obsessed with wolves. They watched this guy, Coyote Peterson, and he did this video on this, like, place that has wolves in Montana. Do you know it? And I was like, you mean Howler's Inn, like the place that I lived? And it was just this crazy coincidence that they had been trying to go to Howler's Inn for forever. Um, I was like, yeah, I grew up there. Those were my wolves in the video. Like, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's a bit of, a bit of celebrity status there. Just like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, well, folks, this, this is true. that you know The Howler's Inn didn't just transcend across the United States clearly across the world as well because you had visits from local oh that's the other thing as well is that you didn't just have my parents and my family visit for my wedding you also um two of my best friends came and stayed with you as well Dan and Julia a few years after that so yes I think I I remember them a little bit and I left a note. I remember I left a note in your mailbox to give to Dan because we didn't quite I was me and my wife were in Montana the three or four weeks beforehand and I was like I just put a cheeky note in the mailbox and said give this to Dan and Julie when they arrive <laughs> oh it was so funny it was so cool yeah anyway we're, we're yes. reminiscing now. so um but you're into but going back to what you said about Texas, it just goes to show how oh, yes. um diverse and different you know different parts of the United States are I mean it is such a huge country it is not yes. homogenous in any way shape or form um but so in that respect then what would you say for you when you were when you were living in Texas was kind of like was there something that you really enjoyed about Texas that you would not get back in Montana or you thought actually you know if I could take this little piece of me back to back to Montana if I ever went back to Montana I would do that I mean it's a bit of a tricky question but (laughs) it is a tricky question um I would say I mean it kind of depends because even Texas itself is very different across the state. Um, Cause I've been to Austin, which is very different from Lubbock, which is where we live. Um, but I would say universally, the thing I actually, for whatever reason I really like is like the classic Southern charm. Like <laughs> I get called ma'am all the time, you know, men hold open doors for me. And um, you know, I've had the classic like cowboy tip their hat, you know, and, and build, uh, <laughs> outside buildings and things. It's just wild. Um, 
And obviously that does not really happen in Montana. I think Montanans are very nice people, but it's a very different kind of nice. And I, I'm a sucker for that charm. <laughs> good, good point. A very different kind of nice. Yeah. And you know what? It's yeah. funny that because everybody thinks of like the Wild West and like Montana and all that kind of stuff. That's the cowboy nation, you know, Wyoming on the yeah. tip of your But you're saying that actually that doesn't really happen in Montana. That happens down in Texas. So, mm-hmm. right, but that's fine. Well, I, I want to give another shout out to, um, to Chris Bell, who's a meteorologist uh, over here in Norwich, who's from Texas. And yeah, uh-huh. his, his wit and his charm is definitely quite unique. Um, he's, yes. a, he's, a, he's a lovely guy. I need to get him on the podcast soon. But uh, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying now. But yes, you're not meant to be playing into stereotypes, Alexis. You're not meant to say, oh, the cowboy hats in Texas and they're t- tipping their hat. But hey, sometimes <laughs> some stereotypes are true. <laughs> it's true, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and now you, and now, so going back for, to now your present day, you're over, you're close to us here. You're in the Netherlands. You're yeah. just across, as, as I said to your mum and dad in the green room, you're, off, you're just across the smaller pond now rather than the big pond. <laughs> yes, it's, it's crazy. What a difference then. Uh, how have you been finding um, in there over there in the lowlands? I have to say I love the Netherlands, or at least Maastricht, which is our city. Um, yeah, I, I think a large part of it is it's just very green and Texas is not. Um, <laughs> and the bike culture too. I love that I can just get on my bike and stay on a bike path all the way into our t- town where... Um, my university building is um it's like 10 kilometers but the whole way it's just bike path it's amazing yeah it's well the the netherlands are very very you know they're they're known for three things in particular so going back (laughs) to stereotypes now they're known for their their bikes as you just mentioned they're known for Mm -hmm. their their windmills and they're known for their tulips so um yes (laughs) so um yeah i mean uh, amongst other things but they're the three that's come to come to think of mind the stereotypes so um yeah you're absolutely right and the fact that you can cycle that i mean that's definitely different from like montana and, and, and texas <laughs> where you have to get yes. in the car just to go down the road you know to well literally you do you're like you have to get in the car you, you know it's, it's funny at my my family's house you have to get in the car to go to the mailbox unless you're walking oh, the dogs yeah <laughs> <laughs> so drive for yeah, atms everybody yeah <laughs> so uh, that must be a well almost literally breath literally a breath of fresh air as well to be able to just cycle everywhere yes <laughs> definitely have you i don't know if it's in Maastricht or it's in somewhere else but there's this isn't there this like this giant like cycle bridge it's almost like it could be a road junction which goes in like eight different directions but actually it's for bikes only i don't know where that is that's somewhere in the netherlands that would sound very very dutch um i don't think it's Maastricht, but we do have a lot of bridges over the river um, and some are pedestrian only, which mm. is also really cool. <laughs> so, okay. Have you, have you uh, got on your bike and gone in the other direction, gone like further out of town and just had a little cycle round in the rural areas amongst the tulips? I, I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little bit. Um, you know, like our, our town is right on the border of Belgium. Like literally you can just look over the river. Um, so I have biked across the river and through Belgium and then back around. And uh, I've biked to a windmill and then through the field <laughs> near the windmill and then back home. Um, yeah, I've seen the tulips, the classic Kuchenhof Garden tulips, which were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with all those deep colors. Yeah. I, yes. It's, uh, it's so weird. 
it's like even though it's so close and you can actually get you can get a direct short haul flight from Norwich to to Amsterdam and you can also there's mm-hmm. the ferries that go to, I've never been to the Netherlands would you believe it or not like that's crazy <laughs> yeah the look on your face yeah it's like what yeah. um I've been I've been to um I've been to Denmark I've been to okay. Germany I've been to France but I've been to Belgium so I just I've got this little kind of void where the Netherlands is. I need to kind of fix that sometime. But hey, now that your folks are there, you know, it's going to be a good excuse, surely. Exactly, yeah. You have a place to stay and everything. Yay! Did you say so, so that a bit louder so they can hear you downstairs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, so good. So, um, but as you, as you just said, there's, there's, um, you miss the mountains so, so much. Of course, there aren't any mountains there in the Netherlands. You have to go far far south yeah. to get towards into France and towards Italy before you get some real big mountains. As uh, yeah. while you've been over here, Alexis, is there anywhere else in the in Europe that you I mean you've mentioned you cycled through Belgium and stuff like that, but is there anywhere else in Europe you've you've traveled since you've been over? Um I've been to Germany and um, I went to Aachen and toured around there. Um I actually just came back from London last weekend, so I was on your side of the, the sea for a little bit. Yeah. Um I know I went somewhere else. I took another trip. But now I'm completely forgetting where I went. That's <laughs> cool. Right. So we're going to move on and talk about something which is like really amazing. I mean, we, we, we kind of loosely keep in touch uh, through social media anyway. But, but when you posted about this, about this new thing that you're starting for your masters, I was just like, oh, my God, this is if there is any excuse to get, you know, Alexis or one of your family on the podcast, this was the trigger, right? So, yeah. You, as you, as we said in the introduction, you, you know, you love questions about how we learn, what happens with sleep, our emotion effects, and things like that. And so you're doing a master's, and do correct me because I'm just remember off the top of my head, you're doing a master's in <laughs> psychology. Is that right? Yes, Psycho- developmental psychology. Developmental psychology. But here's the, here's the link, everybody. So I <laughs> know uh, you tell us, you tell us what your master's focus is going to be on because it sounds so freaking interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I feel like I should clarify that what you're referring to, the, the paper, I actually just did for, like, fun. It wasn't tied to any schooling or anything. Um, you so did it for fun? Is- that makes it even more cooler. <laughs> okay, talk about your master's first and then go into go into. Okay, folks, so you see, I got so excited. I've conflated <laughs> two things there. Okay, start your master's, then we'll go into your the bit, the bit you did for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my master's thesis is on different study strategies in students. So um, analyzing like brain activity while students are learning Swahili in different ways to see, you know, what's going on, what's actually helping them learn the best, things like that, um, which is very different. But I think wait, it's wait, really wait, interesting. Wait, <laughs> okay. So that's so cool in itself. <laughs> So wait, if, uh, folks, I'm going to keep you on tender hooks for the thing that I was excited about. Right. In different things to learn Swahili, that's interesting because it's like not, not I've, when you said the study skills, I thought, okay, like you know, cognitive stuff regards to like study and revision, all that kind of stuff. But okay, mm-hmm. about learning Swahili. Yeah, we were trying to see um, in a broad sense what's going on between two different ways that people learn. So some people, you know, they'll just study everything at once and then they'll take a test or, you know, however they're assessed. Um, But some people will just like mix and match how they're studying things, like different subjects or different categories. 
and then go test. Um, and there's a lot of research going into like why it works better one way and sometimes another um, and things like that. So we're trying to kind of get into that deeper. So I'm looking at motivation to see if motivation type changes how well studying works. But why, why, why Swahili? That's a very specific thing to look at into. <laughs> I think that was primarily because it is an international school. And so oh. they're like, we have to find something. We don't think anyone speaks Swahili. It's a new subject for everyone. So it was like a safe thing that no one had previous understanding of, hopefully. That is that is amazing. Um, I can't remember who we spoke to, but we, we I was speaking about um, I think it was one of my other ex-students, Karis Merriam, where we talked about learning Welsh um, when you go to a Welsh, when you go to university in Wales. I mean, there's the, they run optional courses to learn Welsh, which I thought, and then we, oh, that's right. Cause then we had a discussion about, wouldn't it be a great idea is if you go to certain locations where a certain culture or an indigenous culture is located that you put on a course you know, it could be optional, whatever it is, where you have to learn about the culture and you learn some of the language because it gets you more appreciative of, of, of the land that you're on. You know, that I, th I think for me, that's more of a respectful way of, of acknowledging that you may be on occupied land, for example. But, um, but yeah, that sounds so cool. So you've got this course where you can learn Swahili and I love it. Is it popular? Do you know? Are people interested? I mean, people are interested at least in doing our study for the most part. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily because of the Swahili, to be honest, or if they just know they have to do it for their classes. <laughs> but, I, yeah. yeah, I would so, I would so, so do it. I mean, I've, I tried to pick up a couple of words and phrases in Chichewa, which is the, uh, the main language down in uh, Malawi and Zambia. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's so beautiful to just, even if you can only pick up, and I strongly recommend it to everybody, it, it sounds so tropey that when you go to another country, you try, try and like pick up a couple of words here and there just to, and then the locals can laugh at you. But, you know, I've been told by many people that they actually appreciate the effort and the fact that you've taken time to kind of learn a couple of words or so means that you're, you're, you're respecting kind of like the culture and the place that you're going to. So yeah, I strongly recommend it for anybody. So when I say Mulibwanji, like, how are you in Chichewa? You know, the people in, in Malawi are like oh that's quite cool kit well done do you know anything else like no <laughs> but they, they appreciate the effort hi folks a chance for you to recharge your brew but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast simply liking sharing rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. That's what you're actually doing, folks. So thanks for correcting me. So that's what you're actually doing. But this thing you did for fun, for <laughs> hobby, so which makes it not less cool. It makes it even more cool. Right. So <laughs> tell us this thing about, about, um, about this thing about hurricanes and that you did. Yeah. Um, so this was a paper and a poster, actually, that I did while I was working in a sleep lab for a couple of years, um, working with the director with some of her old data in Texas during Hurricane Harvey, um, which was this massive hurricane that came through, did a lot of damage. Um, 
And they just happened to be, I guess, in the right place at the right time kind of thing where they had had sleep data on these kids beforehand for a different study entirely. And they realized we can collect data now that the hurricane has happened and we can do something very unique that a lot of people can't research because it's hard to do a before and after when you don't know if a natural disaster is going to happen. Um, right, absolutely. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so we were able to collect all this sleep data specifically before and after the hurricane and um, like the post-traumatic stress symptoms children were experiencing. Um, and we were specifically looking at if your chronotype, which is like your morning or evening preference, um, impacts how well you cope, as, at least as a kid. Um, which was really interesting. I, we hadn't found anything like it, especially in terms of like coping with traumatic events. Um, so yeah, so he, like tentatively, since it is the first of its kind, we did find that like morning, yeah, morning type people are just better equipped or they're better at handling and, and processing these traumatic events. Um, oh. Yeah, and there could be a million and one reasons for that, or it could have been a fluke in our data too, and more data will come out, but. But it was a really interesting finding. That's that's so incredible. And of course, this is how science and research works, is that you find something tentative, but then someone then takes mm-hmm. it on and go, okay, is then they retest it, don't they? They say let's see if we can find if this is actual a thing, if it can be if it can be replicated again and then and then try and control for any confounding factors. That's how science works. That's how research works. So that's that's incredible incredible serendipity there to actually do that bit of research and mm-hmm. yeah and the fact that there's there's a lot of nervousness and trepidation about things like data and big data and stuff like that but if you've got some con- if you accidentally come across some control data like that like these sleeping patterns of these kids who live in this area that was affected by a hurricane then they're affected by a hurricane then you can go look back at that previous study and say oh, can we do that previous study again now that the hurricane's gone past and see if there's anything so that's just so fascinating that really yes. really is um and i imagine as well that um because hurricane harvey that that was that was a, yeah as you said that was a big big hurricane um mm-hmm. and that can be quite a, tra- a traumatic uh, uh, um impact for a lot of people so <clears throat> can you tell me a little bit more about the um the specificness of of kind of maybe the 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 region that that you got this data from, or the kit. What was your sample size and that kind of stuff? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's been a little while since I first did that. I know. Let's see. I, I think before the hurricane, I want to say they had around like ninety to one hundred participants. Okay. Um, and then they were not able to get everyone back in after the hurricane because not everyone could or wanted to reparticipate. Understandably. Um, yes. Yeah. I think if I'm remembering my numbers right, I'm sure I could pull it up if I needed to. It was around 60 participants that were able to do the before and after both. Um, there were a few, I think, who were excluded just as outliers or for other reasons. Um, but yes, and it was in a specific area in Houston. Um, there was like a couple neighborhoods that were really predominantly where they drew from, but it was, um, it wasn't the hardest hit area, but it wasn't, you know, so far away that they weren't affected. Sure. Um, kind of right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously you, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of impacts in there. There's like 
um, from having you complete your house destroyed and your whole livelihood turned upside down to to um, your neighborhood being affected where there's stress and trauma in the neighborhood and that kind of like filters through. So there, there are so many different, there are so many hidden at, um, aspects as well, which which I think a lot of people don't appreciate. And I think it's something for us, especially us educators in the geography sphere to kind of be in mind is this, this ethical nature of when we teach things like natural hazards um, and I'm going to give it a plug everybody because why not, uh, you know, for the, <laughs> for the, for the teaching geography journal that has just come out uh, for, for summer 2022, you know, I, I wrote how we could teach um, natural hazards by being more empathetic and, and being more um, sensitive and respectful to the folk, the fact that, you know, it does affect real people's lives and, you know, and your study, Alexis, it just goes to prove that, that these, these impacts, well, that they most certainly do happen. We know that, for example, eco anxiety is a thing when you when your when your world is changed in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through environmental degradation or a natural hazard, it does have an impact. There's data that, but to have something so specific, and I think, I think it's actually quite, and it sounds a bit pervasive to say a good thing, <laughs> a good thing in terms of the study, a good thing that yeah. the folks that you focused on weren't necessarily the ones who had their house completely destroyed but they were on the periphery of the impacts because it just goes to show that even then you can have this psychological impact of these natural hazards. It must have an impact. Oh, yes. So. Yeah. Well, and I think an interesting thing too, that was at least in some of our data was it was a lot of it was self-report from the child and then the parent also reported on those same things. And, you know, you'd get times where the, the kid would remember it much more dramatically than what had actually happened or vice versa. Huh. Um, yeah, so there's so much about just like how well, how did the the child perceive what happened to them? That's almost more important than the actual damage. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's just really really interesting. And yeah, it's there are so many studies that could spawn off of that. I'm hoping so. Even though this was like a fun kind of like serendipitous, almost voluntary kind of thing that you've done, <laughs> hmm, this this might end up being one of the most cited things you've ever done. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, there's some amazing names of co-authors that are on this paper yeah. with me who, who obviously could talk about this much more accurately than I could. But yeah, I just was so honored that my name was like next to some of these incredible oh. PhDs. Yeah. <laughs> That's just so amazing. And so congratulations on that work and uh, and with what you're doing <laughs> Thank you. uh, for your master's and, and I hope that goes all well. Um, Thank you. Yes. I'm going to bring it back to to uh, to wolves now. For uh, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the name. Of this little feature, right? So usually it's called barking up the wrong tree, but I'm going to change it to howling up the wrong tree, right? Okay, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't know. I try to be funny. Sometimes it doesn't always work. Okay, so um, what this is it? This is, folks. For those who don't know, is that I'm going to give Alexis two stories. One of them is true, and one of them is false. And Alexis has got just kind of. It's just fun. There's no. There's nothing at stake here. It's not testing Alexis' knowledge or anything like that. It's just a bit fun. Which one's true and which one's false? Okay, so are we ready to go here? I'm going to read the first one out. Okay. So this was. Let me just get 
Okay, so this was a story. It says the sweet true story of a wolf who befriended dogs. And this was the oh, it's an American date. So it's not it's not the second of the twentieth <laughs> month. It's the second of February, twenty fifteen. Okay, so February twenty fifteen. So it says here the author of this extraordinary true story is a gifted wildlife photographer and nature writer living in Alaska. Nick Yarn seeks to tell the story of the black wolf with accuracy. Uh, equanimity and forthrightness but his love for the wild creature who befriend his dogs and those of other residents of juno and even forged relationships with some humans is as deep as the alaskan winter snow so as the story begins one afternoon Jans was skiing in a frozen medenhall lake and spotted the unmistakable tracks of a wolf in the ensuing days he finally met the enormous lone wolf from his wife whom his wife later nicknamed Romeo and began the now legendary years of interactions between the world and the so-called civilized. One more paragraph for you. Uh, as, no, as Jan's notes, and anyone who cares about wildlife understands, wolves have had the short end of humanity's stick for centuries, being blamed for destruction they have not caused and feared for violence they would not commit. Um, and it goes on to say, on the lines is that, how this, this wolf uh, made friends with his domestic dogs and even a human or two, uh, and Romeo became a local celebrity, inspiring crowd, crowds of onlookers, some of them questionable common sense and others more suspect intentions. So that's the first story. Okay. So is this, is that a true story? Is that this lone wolf who befriended um, domestic dogs and the humans that owned them, right? Okay. Here's the second one. This is dated uh, last year, April 2021. Wild animals will be introduced to Nettershaw Heath near Thetford, so that's this part of the world here, uh, where it's hoped they will settle and breed successfully. Experts say dog walkers near should keep their pets in the lead, while small children will be encouraged to remain in the car. The six wolves will be released on April the 25th, after which local farmers worried about their livestock will be urged to check their animals regularly and report in they go missing. The last wolf in the UK was shot centuries ago, but there have been growing demands for them to return after the successful rewilding of beavers and wildcats. Um, the main benefit of bringing the fearsome animals is help bring the number of wild deer under control, which in turn will benefit numerous plants and trees. And finally, it says here, Heathland in Suffolk was selected as the ideal wolf habitat, given that the area around Nettershell Heath is relatively quiet with only a few nearby homes and just one primary school. Right. So there we go. So you have two... You have two stories there, one about the lone wolf that befriended domesticated dogs and became a local celebrity, or wolves being reintroduced to Nettershaw Heath, which is literally only about a 20-minute drive that way from me. So what's your thought processes on these? My thought process is I'm I'm like 80% sure I remember that first story about the lone wolf in Alaska. But I also thought I read something about wolves being reintroduced somewhere in Europe, and it could have been the UK. Mm. Um, but I'm more confident about the first one. I think that's the true story. You think the lone wolf one is a true story? I think so. Yes, you are correct. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yep. So this is... Um, this is a true story, folks, and it's actually was uh, it was made into a book called A Wolf Called Romeo by uh, Nick Yarns. Um, and yeah, and that really was a true story. And there was a lot of kind of um, theories about why this lone wolf was, was um, you know, was happy to go near dogs and humans. You know, one theory was that uh, his his uh, mate and, and pups were, were maybe killed and left him alone. He was seeking, he's seeking a new pack, you know, and there's, it's, it's an interesting story to read one, the Nettershaw Heath one. And the clue was, it was 
April, and if I'd given the first, if I'd given the first part of the date, the first of April, twenty twenty one. Uh, I deliberately missed, left that out because you've like, oh, crikey, kit, you just gave it away. Yeah, um, and I'm just going to show Alexis on the screen. So there was a, there was an official, like, official looking like oh, wow. notice board that was put up in <laughs> Netshell Heath and everything like that. It was only up on the first of April. It wasn't up, up the other day. Um, but the local media and, and local press run with it. They thought it was true, and it carried on going for days and days oh and gosh. days. And there was like, oh, uproar and things like that, which, which is. Sad in the way, you know, that there was an uproar on this because the, the article, it says the misunderstanding of wolves. Um, yep. But yeah, like Suffolk County, yeah, Suffolk Wildlife Trust and Netshell Heath were like, folks, calm down. How many times do you have to tell you? It's an <laughs> April Fool's joke. Um, yeah, even the BBC picked it up and then and then released oh <laughs> and then, and then released uh, uh, an article a few days later saying, no, they're not being reintroduced. So there you go, folks. What a kudos to whoever thought that as a, an april fool's joke yes although sad because that would have been quite cool it would have uh, but i think the other thing that at least would have given it away if i had seen that post is like we know wolves are not gonna hunt your children and your small dogs like and any wolf conservator that's not the right word but um yeah anyone working with those animals and releasing them properly would know that you don't need to keep your children in the car for their safety because they're yeah. in the area. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the giveaway, wasn't it? It's like when you go out for yeah. a walk in Netshaw Heath, you know, keep your dogs and leave and put your children in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I did think about skipping past that bit, but I thought, no, can you pick up on these little <laughs> things? Um, right. One last thing. Well, two last things finish off. The first one, uh, we're going to spill the beans. Because you put, I love to write and read fantasy novels. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Let's start with reading fantasy novels. Then, what have you got? A, a favorite or two that you like? Oh, I can never pick a favorite book. To be honest, um, I just finished. I shouldn't say just finished, but when I a couple months ago, I finished. The Three Dark Crowns series, which I thought was really Ooh. interesting. Yes, doesn't it sound ominous? <laughs> um, so that was really good. Um, of course, I'm always a fan of like the Aragon series because the author lived in Livingston, which was 15 minutes of from Howard. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, his setting was based off of the same mountains that I saw from my windows. Um, so for that reason, I have always loved that series. Oh, so what, yeah. what mountains would, because I've not um, read that. So what mountains would that, that wouldn't have been like, this wouldn't be the Spanish pit or the crazy mountains or something like that. What what were they? Absor no, it was the Absarokas. That's right. Or yeah, Absarokas or Absarkis. Yeah. Or uh, however, yes. however they get pronounced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. It's the Aragon series. First book, American Family, Chris Malini. So 1980, born in 1983, began writing a novel after graduating from home at the age of 15. I'm going to have to look that one up. Hmm. Yeah, I think my kids might like that actually. Yeah, the the books are amazing. The movie is not good. Don't I wouldn't watch the movie. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for that. Um, okay. Right. So, okay. Now, I know that my my better half and her family like used to write <laughs> really on purpose, really ridiculous, outrageous fan fiction about lord of the rings oh, i mean get this amazing. right 
my my um so my wife and her cousins on um if you put them and together there's seven of them right so of course if there's mm-hmm. seven of them and there's seven fe- members of the fellowship of course that you can imagine oh. how this story used to go <laughs> right i love um, that <laughs> yeah <laughs> enough said about that the better so um I mean, you don't have to disclose anything embarrassing or anything like that, Alexis, but but um, can you tell us a little bit about something that you've put to paper and uh, kind of maybe a character or two that you've made? Uh, I could, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the main thing that I'm working on now that in my, my wildest dreams, I would love to be officially published. We'll see if that ever happens. Um, but it just, it plays with this idea of like religion and gods and whether or not we can control our own fate or if predestined path is what we have to travel no matter what we do. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of idea, I guess. <laughs> oh, keeping it deliberately fake, but really tempting there to find out more. <laughs> well, thank okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, you heard it here first. Right, unless unless of course Alexis choose to go with with a, a a pen name, that's that's absolutely fine. But if you see um, Alexis Barn and and these best selling books, you know you heard it yes. here first that we had the author yeah. right here on Coffee and Geography twenty twenty two. But yeah, I, I I love that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah. as as I mean, as you know, and a lot of folks know, you know, being a being a, a sci fi fancy nerd, Star Trek and that kind of stuff, and Stargate, I love those stories about predestination and stuff like that and the wibbly wobbly timey the doctor who as well you know like (laughs) okay we're going to finish off with one last thing um that's we are all geographers alexis so uh for folks who don't know this is where we link the guests together using a single word um and alexis yeah uh it's no it's it's all fun it's all works real well (laughs) I, i always have to reassure people uh on this bit so um what it is, Alexis, that last week we had the uh, lovely Esther Lemons, a good friend of mine who uh, is a podcaster. She runs a podcast called Fifty Shades of Gender, talking about gender identity and gender diversity. It's really good. Oh. Do check that out, everybody. Um, and she was given a very appropriate word by the guest before, Kat Poe, uh, about genuine. So that was really good for someone who runs a podcast about gender identity. <laughs> um, and Esther kind of went with that line for you. Um, and she said the word that she would like you to talk about for 30 seconds in any way, shape or form is the word expression. And you just got 30 seconds to riff about the word expression, maybe how you express yourself in your fantasy novels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I'll start with that then. Cause I do think that's okay. an easy segue is just in writing. Um, okay. So <laughs> I think, I think writing is kind of a classic way people express themselves Um, And I think it's also one of those universal ways of expressing yourself. Um, You know, uh, I only have 17 seconds left, (laughs) which I think is really interesting. Um, And the scientific writing too, you know, I know it's much more scientific and rigid, but I think there's some level of expression in like research papers and articles and and things like that, that maybe you don't notice, but it's there. You did great. Yeah, thank you. I'm just kind of making it up. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing how many people are like. Yeah, I could do this. It's like, and then as soon as they see that I put the time up, they're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> it goes so fast. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you 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 did that really well. Expression. So um, not just yeah, in the way that you write, and it doesn't just have to be fantasy fiction. It could be nonfiction and how you go about your passions and your writing and your studies. So love it. Yeah. 
You nailed it, Alexis. You nailed it. Right then. <laughs> so um, it's now your turn. So uh, to come up with any word you so wish for um, our next guest to go for 30 seconds. Um, I'll go with commitment. Nice. So the word commitment. So next week, folks, tune in for how we come out with commitment. Okay. And I, I, I can already do one. This You are the 52nd episode of Coffee and Geography, Alexis. So I've had a bit of a commitment to get past oh, 50 episodes. Wow. Listen to the special nice. two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whew. Right. So let's do some shout outs then. So we've already kind of mentioned your family. like So um, your mum and dad, Chris and Mary Martha, your sister Delaney, who's probably going to be in the in the Olympics for the USA at some point, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good luck, Delaney, with all your all your sporting endeavours. Um, so, is there anybody else you'd like to shout out to? I feel like I should probably shout out my fiance, Keegan. Um, he's just yeah, <laughs> he's just a good guy, and he's over there finishing his own PhD, so he's plenty busy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Keegan. Oh well. You're, you're, I know from experience, you're coming into a really good family, but you do that already. You do that already. So yeah, you folks look <laughs> yeah. after each other. Cool. So, and um, if, do you have any way, so if people like the work that you're doing or contact, is there any way they can contact you? I mean, I know, I know you have a Facebook profile, but I don't know whether that's, that's for, fa- for family and friends only, but is there any way people can find you on social media? Um. Yeah. I mean, you can try and find me on facebook or instagram i think it's just my name um i have an ambassador professional instagram but i will only be on there for a few more months and then i pass it on to the next ambassador of master oh, okay. university so yeah uh, we didn't even have time to talk about that as well crikey <laughs> <laughs> it's not as exciting <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough alexis i really really enjoyed catching up with you um this has been so much fun and yes. yeah and and I know and I just want to I just want to say thank you for for you and your family for just being and I said this in the green room beforehand for you and your family for being a really important you know part of my family's life um just enriching the experience you know, of what you did with the howlers and everything like that it's that there you've been, definitely been like a pebble that's like sent ripples in the pond because <laughs> now so much of the work that I do I have you know that that in mind those students you give experience to who i brought over from the uk you know we're, we're really close good friends now because of the experience i just want to thank you and your family for for being that part of of our lives it's been so nice gosh well i would agree i would say it's been wonderful on our end too thank you very much for joining me yes of course thank you thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.